0: My senior year of high school, uh, after the wrestling season's over, we would always have a big uh, river rafting trip. We did it every year. It was part of our annual thing. And this particular time of year in Oregon, the water was a little bit rougher than normal. And my head wrestling coach was actually a fishing guide, super good guy on the river, knows how to raft through the rapids. Safely, securely, knows how to catch lots of fish. He knows what he's doing. On this particular time, there was him in the lead drift boat, and then a bunch of my other teammates were in these rafts, and we're were following behind this caravan of boats. And something happened when he went into this one particular area. Maybe he hit a rock. And the the front of this drift boat just, just got just enough under where water started to creep in, and then some, some like waves started to crash in. And within 15 seconds, that boat flipped and sank, and everyone in that boat was underwater. You're like, where are you going with this story? Well, listen, you have to stay awake till the end of the sermon, because I'm gonna tell you how it ends. But well, I say that to say, today we're gonna be in the boat scene again. In fact, the past two weeks, we've been in the boat scene. But Jesus has been sitting on the boat Teaching parables. And after the teaching time, he then withdraws from the crowd, the seashore, and they're going to push out and he's going to explain those parables a little bit further. But now we're going to go a little bit further into the Sea of Galilee. We're going to go into the middle of the sea and see a story that you're very familiar with. But here's what I want you to see and understand today. Because maybe you've heard a message on Mark chapter 4 of Jesus still stills the storm, something like that. And he does, and so I don't want to discredit that. But that is not the main point or purpose of this story. There's so much more to this story that Jesus would want us to see. And in fact, today is kind of interesting as we pivot from the parables. We're going to see the powerful hand of God, the powerful hand of Jesus. Not just his hands, but his spoken words. In fact, over the next few weeks, what we're going to see is today is one of four stories They're teaching stories, teaching events of what is happening, so we're not getting the in-depth parable of what he's teaching, but what he's doing is a great teaching lesson. And over the next few weeks, we're going to see that everyone, everyone who observes basically has two options. So today, those in the boat, uh, will um, will they have faith or will they live in fear? Uh, Next week, we're going to be looking at the demonic man. Will those reject or will they accept Jesus? The following week is Jairus and the suffering woman. And will they have faith or will they have despair? And then we'll look at Jesus as he travels to his hometown. And once again, will they believe or disbelieve the words of Jesus? And here's what we're going to understand. Hopefully, we'll understand this. That the right conclusion about Jesus is not based on comparing Jesus to other people. Because what we're going to see today is Jesus is incomparable, uncomparable to anyone else. Because he's unlike anyone else. Yes, he's human. and We're going to see the humanity of him today. But we're also going to see the deity of him today. The power of God that rests upon him because he is God. He is the God-man. And so in this story today, we're going to see some... Details, some vivid details. And we might think, why why is he even putting this in there? I think Mark is going to be putting this in there to help us see some things that maybe we might not normally see, that we might be overlooking. So, like he talks about the hour of the day, he's going to talk about the presence of other boats, he's going to talk about where he's sleeping, he's going to talk about the disciples' careless words, he's going to talk about the rebuke of Jesus in the end. We're going to see all of these things. But in today's story, there's also gonna be this theological truth that I want us to see that is reflected, and Mark is writing these things, pinning this story in particular to help these disciples in this boat maybe recall some Old Testament gleanings, some things that were shadows or pictures of Jesus, particularly Jonah chapter one, and then Psalm 107. And we'll look a little later at Psalm 107, but we're going we're gonna to see some things. And basically, here's what I want us to understand. The calming of the storm represents a larger picture to, his, to help his disciples further show what, not only his humanity, but deity, but also his purposes. This is really super important for his disciples to learn, both then and us as his disciples to learn and understand just now. Because if we preach a message on just Jesus saves us from the storms of life, well, that's all really good, except sometimes people really experience some storms and they don't really come through those storms that, that well. Like you can turn on the news and you can see all sorts of horrific things and say, well, Jesus sees you through the storm. Well, maybe he sees you through that storm and maybe he just wants to sustain you in the middle of that storm. Because what we see here is Jesus actually brings them into the storm. This was bought, brought about by Jesus, at Jesus directing. And so Jesus wants to teach them some other things here. And so the title of the message today is this, The Person and Power of Jesus. The Person and Power of Jesus. We're going to see and discover the, the deity and humanity of Jesus, but here's the big idea that I want you to grasp. It's on the screen. Being a disciple of Christ isn't about getting through the storms of life, but rather trusting God's purposes through the struggles. Before we get into our text, I think it's really important because these disciples hadn't fully yet understood and comprehended this. John says in his opening verse, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. Speaking of Christ in the beginning of creation. He's there. He's there in creation. Colossians 1.16 talks about by him, that is Christ, all things were created, both heaven and earth, visible and invisible, created through him and for him. He holds all things together. That's Colossians 1. Hebrews 1, verses 2 through 3, summarized, through him he also made the world and upholds all things by the power of his word. Here's what we need to understand about Christ. He was there in creation, and what God creates, he can also control. The disciples hadn't come to learn and understand this yet, which is why they're going to be consumed with fear rather than just truly placing their faith in Christ. Having said that, all of these things, let's look at a map. You're going to see it right up here because we're going to talk about the Sea of Galilee a lot today. It's called the Sea of Galilee, but really it's not a sea. It's really just a huge lake. The lake is uh, 13 miles long, roughly 8 miles wide. It's, the, it's the, 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 the lowest freshwater lake in all of the world. I think it's around 800 feet below sea level. And then to the, you'll see the mountain ranges all around there. But to the, the northeast is Mount Hebron it raises 9,200 feet. And so, from the top of that mountain to to the the depths of this is about 10,000 feet. And so, this gets full of water. It becomes this just amazing fishbowl. The Sea of Galilee supplies around 50% of the water supply for Israel. Israel, Jerusalem, it's all going to be south of here. Huge fishing resource, as we're aware. But here's what's interesting. With the the cold, the cold air of the, 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 the top elevations and then the, the, the warm air rising from beneath, here's what you see. It happens even to this day, particularly during the daytime when the sun is out. You'll see the cold and the warm air colliding. And what happens when cold and warm air collides? It's storms, major storms. And so this isn't necessarily uncommon, but there are going to be some uncommon things that are happening within this region. Having said all of that, now let us look at Mark chapter 4. We're going to conclude the chapter. It says in verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. A great wind storm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. He, that is Jesus, was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Pretty fascinating story, right? You'd think by now, I mean, they'd seen him cast out demon spirits they'd seen him heal the diseased and sick and now in this dangerous storm at the conclusion of it they're asking who is this man that he can do such things you see they're still learning they're still growing just as we are let's just kind of walk through this we're going to walk through this passage fairly quickly well, let's look at verses 35 and 36, and here's where we just see things are smooth sailing, right? Just smooth sailing. Everything is going well. I mean, on this day, this is the same day after the long teaching time. It's just been a long, exhaustive day. The end of day has come. Evening has now come. That's what the scripture says, and Jesus is going to say, hey, let, let's move eastward. Let, let's pack it up. They have heard. We've preached. We've proclaimed, I've been able to further elaborate. Now let, let's move on and meet and encounter some other people because my mission, my mission, my message, it must still go on. And that's what we see happening here. And so they left the crowd and it says that they took him. So it doesn't indicate that he ever got off the boat or that they went inland. He's just on the boat the whole time and they're going from west traveling east, out on the, so- out on the shore. Well, it says there that there's a multitude of boats that are going to be traveling with them. Here's what we've come to understand. Jesus has the 12, but there's also many other followers with him. We don't know a whole lot about the boat in particular. I mean, we can think of James and John and Andrew and Peter. It may be one of their boats. Maybe they all have their own boats and, and others are traveling. But Jesus is there with them and these other boats that are followers of Jesus and, and that they're going out. Um, in 1986, about five miles south of Capernaum, uh, they found a boat um, that was similar to what they would have used in this time. In fact, as they, they, they dated it, it goes back to this time. It was roughly 27 feet uh, long, eight feet wide, and there was like a deck where it's five feet. Like the boat was still in really good condition. And so this would have been the typical fishing boat of that time that could have held 15 plus people And someone could have laid down, someone could have rested, and so there's this vivid picture in the scriptures along with some other stuff that just helps us get a a feel of how the boat is. I mean, probably um, that banner to, to that banner, maybe a little bit further, is the length of this boat that they're on. And so after a long day, Jesus is spent and he's ready to go to bed, and he does just that. Guys, it's been good, but good night. I'm going to sleep. And that's what's, that's what's happening. All is well, until all is not well. Look at verse 37. It says, a great windstorm arose. And here we're going to see this, this severe storm. So we've gone from smooth sailing to severe storm. A great windstorm arose. Can you imagine? I mean, it's just been a long day, a gentle breeze. Maybe they're, they're sitting there under the stars just thinking, how awesome was this Today. To see Jesus preaching and teaching to thousands, to see him healing and doing all these things. Life is good. Maybe they're just sitting and just enjoying God's beauty. And then suddenly, smack! A violent storm arises. Now, there's a reason why they're traveling at night. And we've already talked about this, because the main big storms happen during the daytime. I mean, if you recall, when is it that Jesus... Asked Peter and the others, Did you catch anything? We have fished all night and have caught nothing. This was the normal traveling and fishing time for these, these individuals. When Jesus is walking on the water, is it daytime or nighttime? It's nighttime. This is when they're often traveling. After the resurrection, Jesus is on the shore making breakfast. Why? Because they've been out fishing all night. You never really see them traveling during the daytime because that's a dangerous time to travel. They're traveling in the smooth sail, silhouette quietness of the night. All is silent, all is well, all is peaceful. We're just traveling across the sea until all is not well, until this severe storm takes place. Well, as we consider Jonah chapter one, the verse helps to highlight the violent storm that Jonah would encounter and Jonah, as he retired to the bows of the ship, he says he falls into a deep sleep. And what do we find Jesus? He's at the stern of the boat in a deep sleep, laying his head on a sailor's cushion, a little pillow. He's just snoring, just sleeping. He's out of it. And Mark, this isn't, this isn't new to Mark. He, he's wanting us to, to see all of these things. But verse 38, ironically, is the only time in all the Gospels where we see Jesus sleeping. But why does he do that? It shows his humanity. He is tired. He is exhausted. Do any of you ever get tired or exhausted? I am raising my hand because it happens. It's a reality. And so he lays his head down and he goes to sleep. And he has this complete trust in God the Father and he's just going to sleep and rejuvenate, recharge, and and be ready to go for the next day. However, (laughs) this storm arises, and this storm is not good. I mean, keep in mind, the men upon, upon the ship are professional seamen. They are professional fishermen. They've been through lots of storms. You would think it would be the carpenter that would be terrified of such a storm because he's a carpenter. The seamen, the fishermen who've been through all this would think, ah, no big deal. So there's something uniquely big about this storm. This storm is not like another storm because these fishermen, they don't, oh, a storm is coming. No, that's not how they normally respond. This is almost like hurricane-type force winds because it says that the the wind is blowing so severely, it's creating these waves, and not only the waves are hitting the boat, but it's hitting the boat with such hard force that the water is pouring into the boat. This is not good, and this is not normal. And they are frightened, and they are terrified, and who can blame them? I would be that way, wouldn't you? I think this is a normal and natural response. In two of the other Gospels, here it says, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to die? In Matthew's account and Luke's account, one says, Master and Lord. So there's all these people calling out to him. Master, Lord, Teacher, don't you care? Wake up! We're all going to die. We are going to perish. Don't you care? The wind is so strong. Maybe in the pitch dark of night, they're, they're hearing the other screams of those in the other boats. They at least have the luxury of Jesus sitting right there in the boat. But it's not, the storm isn't just affecting them and their boat. This, the storm is affecting many people. And maybe in this moment, they're thinking, oh, thinking about their family. Maybe they're thinking about their future. Maybe they're thinking about their, their goals. And, and all is lost. And, and I, I thought Christ was going to accomplish this great mission and purpose. And all is not, all is not going to happen now. We're all going to die in the middle of this sea. It was all for naught. Maybe Christ didn't really know what he was talking about. As he's talked about his message and his mission and creating this kingdom, this growing kingdom. Maybe it's all just for show. Because it appears that we're going to die. Don't you care about us? Don't you care that we're going to die? And they're consumed with these thoughts. So what next? Well, we go from the severe storm to silence and stillness. It's the calm after the storm, if you will. It says that Jesus got up And rebuked the wind and the water. The word rebuke there is the same word rebuke that he has used for the demonic spirits, where they instantly must shut their mouth and and they can say and do no more. So when he rebukes and he says, Silent, be still, instantly all is still. If you've ever been to a water park, there's those, those wave pools, right? And the, the horn goes off and the waves, it goes from calm to, to waves start to do and then after 15 minutes, the wave pool stops and then it calms back down. This is huge waves and huge wind pounding on them, the howling of the wind, the crashing of the waves. And then he says, silence, be still and boom, everything is flat. Everything is silent. You could probably hear a pin drop, and everyone's probably looking around like, whoa. That's terrifying. What just happened? When it says, be still, carries the thought of being muzzled or being restrained. Everything is just frozen in time. So when he says that, who can do that? Christ, who's there in all of creation, the agent of creation, has control over creation. And he can do that. And these guys are starting to wonder now, wow. Notice in your scripture that it says a great calm came upon them. No magic words, no theatrics. It's just his authoritative, powerful words. Stops it all. Well, here's what's interesting. When, when Jonah was thrown overboard, I mean, you guys can read it, Jonah chapter one on your own. When Jonah's thrown overboard, you know what it says? You know what happened? A great calm. A great calm took place. There was this dramatic change in the calmness Did not come from prayers and fastings, it just came here, at the authoritative word of Jesus. You see, in in Genesis chapter 1, the spoken word goes out, and in the midst of chaos, he brings order. In the midst of the chaos of the storm, what, what takes place? The words of Jesus brings order to chaos. It seems out of control to everyone else. And Jesus is like, I got this. I'm in control. Because I'm the all-powerful one. I am the authoritative one. And what I say happens. He's teaching them some great lessons here. If you recall from a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus being the strong one who will bind Satan and his minions And here we see Jesus once again as the strong one who is binding winds and waves and his creation. Why? Because he's the creator. (laughs) He is in control of these things. He has the power of God upon him. and God is working here. Psalm 107. I'm going to read this just because I think it highlights and it would have been good for these disciples to remember this. They would have been very familiar with the Psalms. Psalm 107. Verse 23 through 32, bear with me. Others went to sea in ships, concluding, conducting trade on the vast waters. They saw the Lord's work, his wondrous works in the deep. He spoke and raised a stormy wind that stirred up the waves of the sea, rising up to the sky, sinking down to the depths, their courage melting away in anguish. They reeled and staggered like a drunkard. And all their skin was useless, nothing they could do. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, and waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then he guarded them, guided them to the harbor they longed for. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works, for the Almighty. That's what's taking place here. It is God who brings the waves and the wind, and it is God who stills the waves and the wind. Man in Old Testament knew this, and these disciples knew this as well. So even as they get to the end of questioning, who is this, what is taking place, They're starting to connect dots of who Jesus says he is and why he has come and what he is looking to accomplish. His purposes will not be forwarded. So if Jesus says, I'm going to establish a kingdom, he's not concerned about dying in the middle of the sea because God said it and you should believe it. Where is your faith, people? That's what he's wanting them to see. You're with me. I I am going to accomplish what I said I would. I am God, I am the creator, I, I am over all of these things. Do you not see this, do you not understand this. And yet you are gripped with fear. Look at verse 40 and 41. You know, in the final allusion here of the story of Jonah, we see the disciples were terrified. And Jesus asked, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And notice Jesus is speaking present tense. They should be having these shouts of praise, and yet they stood in fear. And Jesus calls them out for their lack of faith. He's been pointing out who he is, why he came, and they question his providential care and his powerful control. They've seen so much, and yet they they still don't fully understand. They fully don't grasp it yet. And so they're shocked, they're stunned, they're scared. And in Jonah 1, verse 10, verse 16, the pagan sailors who were consumed by fear recognized God in the presence of that storm and in the presence of that miracle. When all became calm in the midst of their fear, seeing this miracle, they offered a sacrifice to him, recognizing the presence of God in their midst. And Mark is inviting his disciples, both then and now, to recognize Jesus, the same presence of God. And it says that they're terrified, and they ask, Who then is this, even in the midst where the wind and the sea obey him? Do you guys see it? Jesus is helping them see. He's disclosing his humanity, his deity, and his supreme authority to do what he wants, when he wants, to accomplish his purpose. And he's unveiling himself slowly to these disciples that they would grow in their faith. He's not looking to chastise and condemn them. Well, you have little faith. Just get off my boat. No, no, no. Oh, you have so much yet to learn. And yet I'm going to help you. I'm here for you. It's okay. I don't know about you, but I can have fears in my life, right? I can have doubts in my life. I think that's true and normal and natural of all of us. Well, in the, in the midst of our doubt, where are we running for, for answers, so for solutions, for comfort. Is it, is it here, there, and everywhere? Are we running to Christ to, to know him and to rest at his feet? Or are we running other places and finding ourselves restless in the process? But why such terror? Why, why are they so fearful? Well, this is a natural response seen throughout Scripture of sinful man encountering holy God. They're starting to put together that Jesus is God. They're seeing this. In fact, uh, Psalm 65, verse 7 says this, You silence the roar of the seas, the roar of their waves. Psalm 89, you rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. These guys know that it's only God, only God that can do such things. And so now they're realizing, well, we're, we're sinful people in the presence of a holy God right before us. God in flesh. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 31, it says, When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him. Genesis 18, Isaiah 6, Ezekiel 1, Daniel 10, Revelation 1, all these verses speak of people that had an encounter with God, and as a result of knowing who he is, tremble in fear so this response isn't all that's alarming but jesus is wanting them to see and understand who he is and what he's been called to and what he's calling them to and so whenever the person of jesus or work of jesus is highlighted in the, in the uh, gospels so are his disciples and so we're going to see that they're very knit close together and so just as jesus has given some deeper insights in his parables, once again, who is Jesus further revealing himself to, the insiders or outsiders? This is in the middle of the sea. There's no outsiders. He's wanting to reveal himself yet again to increase their faith that they would have confidence in the midst of fear. The same is true for you and I. If you are a Christian today, God doesn't want you to walk around living and being consumed by fear, worry, and anxiety. He just doesn't. And that's why he's like, if you come to fully know me and my calling upon your life, doesn't mean you won't have genuine concerns, but it does mean this. You won't be consumed by fear, worry, and anxiety because you know me and you trust in me. If you don't truly come to know me, then you struggle to trust in me, and as a result, your life, rather than finding rest in him, is restless. It's just a reality in the world in which we live, and he knew this, and he's wanting to reassure them. I've got a plan, I've got a purpose, and I want you to come join me in this. The narrative of the story is really focusing on faith. And it's really focusing on the faith of the disciples here. I mean, the story is from their perspective. It says that they took Jesus with them. They uh, rose him from his sleep. They were afraid. And at the end, they had these probing questions. But there's a parallel here, my friends. A parallel of the disciples in the boat and the disciples within the church. Think for a moment of the original audience those in Rome under the harsh reality of the oppressive rule and many false religions. Those reading Mark chapter 4 for the first time may have been prone to think that God is indifferent to their hardships and suffering. They may be prone to doubts and fears. And this story here is to install a greater steadfast faith a faith to follow Christ, knowing Christ is working and is establishing his kingdom according to his purpose, not necessarily your plan. It's really important for us to understand. And so this this story assured them, as it should assure us, that nothing can stop the power of God and his eternal purposes. My friends, I don't know what you'll face today, tomorrow, or a month from now, You don't know that of me either, but here's what we do know. We know that God has a plan and a purpose, and we just need to commit to to following him through it all. Through times of seasons of suffering, seasons of storms, seasons of whatever the struggle is, you fill in the blank. But what's God called you to? What's God called me to? What's God called all of us to? Uh, To know him and make him known. That's our purpose, right? To, To be about kingdom work. Our nine-to-five jobs, those are what we might call careers, but those don't identify us. And those jobs might come and go. Relationships come and go. Um, We can have highs and lows of life, and none of that changes the purpose and plan of God. So while we would all love and enjoy perfect health, the fact of the matter is, maybe some of us face some extreme health difficulties this year, and we would think, oh, that's not fun, that's not cool, I don't like that, I, I get it. That makes sense. Who does like that? And yet, it doesn't change God's purpose and plan for your life. To know him and make him known. To trust in him. I mean, Paul said, if I live, I live. If I die, I die, right? Which is far better? This is Philippians 1, Philippians 2. God's got a plan and a purpose for me here on earth. And if he's going to remove me from this earth, to be snatched away is far better. Paul knew this. So he just said, life, bring it on. Bring it on. Because I'm going to trust you, your plans, and your purposes according to your will. As we look to wrap things up in just a moment here, I want us to understand what Jesus did and didn't promise. Jesus never promises a problem free life, He never promises a life free of storms, free of suffering, free of struggles. Here's what he did promise. I promise to go with you through these things. Ah, oh, That's good. We don't have to go through it alone. That, that's, that's really good. And he promises to fulfill his eternal purpose. Maybe not exactly how you and I would have planned it, but we can be rest assured and take confidence that, that God is working behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, all, all the scenes that we don't see. God is working. You know, Jesus has been revealing not only this story, but leading up to this, who he is, his power, his purpose to fulfill his mission. And yet they still have doubts, they have uncertainties, but God is building his kingdom. And nothing was going to stop this work, nothing was going to stop this mission. And that is still true of today. When we think of Jonah, he'd be thrown into the depths of the sea for three days, and the seamen were delivered. (laughs) And then we think of Jesus, he would face death on a cross, and after three days, he would bring forth the deliverance of man. For all who would turn, for all who would confess, for all who would believe, for all who would follow. He offered that. Those men could have jumped off that ship and drowned in sea. Jesus doesn't care, I'm just gonna take matters into my own hands. Okay. Or can just run to Jesus and say, Jesus, Help me increase my faith. You're like, okay, really cool story. What are some takeaways? I actually have six that we're going to put on the screen here. I'm going to go fairly quickly, but I think they're really good for us to contemplate. So closing consideration number one is this. Repent of sinful fear. And really, repent of sinful fear that fails to trust God. Recognize a lack of faith is really just a lack of dependence on God. You and I really aren't that different than the disciples. Keep in mind, this is the 12 apostles. These are super spiritual people, right? And they have doubts. They have concerns. They have fears. So if you have those things, it's okay. We can all have them. But let's acknowledge that it's simply a a lack of true, genuine faith and complete trust in God and say, Lord, forgive me for that. Help me to overcome this. I want to give this to you. I'm tired of carrying this this weight of, of worry and anxiety and fear. It's no way to live. Help me to grow in this knowledge of Christ. Because really, the real threat to our faith of living in freedom how God wants us to is doubt and fear. So let's confess our distrust to Christ and draw closer to Christ as a result. Number two is this request greater faith. Ephesians 2 talks about faith being a gift of God that God wants to grant. And so if you're like, you know what, I feel like I'm faithless, like I need to increase my faith, well, go and ask of God, the giver of all good gifts. Lord, I I, I struggle to trust you. Give me the faith to believe you even in the midst of difficult storms. Help me. No, I will not give you faith. No, he will. That's why the the one father with his son says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He's asking, Lord, give me more faith that I would fully trust you. It's easy to trust you when life is good, but what about when life does not seem so good? Our faith tends to waver and we kind of get consumed and tugged with fear. Why not just ask God, Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me to grow in faith rather than be consumed in fear? Hashtag faith over fear, right? Yeah, get the shirt. Boom, okay. Hey, number three is this. Recognize the power of God's word. God's word reassured them on that day. They still had fear about who he was and where they were standing in the presence of a holy God. However, oh. God is determined to accomplish his will according to his way in alignment with his word. Oftentimes, we might live in fear because we're not connected to his word. We're not claiming his promises. We're not hiding God's word in our heart. And so what are we hiding in our heart? All sorts of lies and worldly wisdom. What do we need? We need to replace that instead of uh, junk input in. We need God's word in that will radically help transform and shape our heart to rather trust in him. It's hard to trust in him if we don't know him. It's hard to follow the way and word of God if we're not in seeking to walk in the way and according to the word of God. It's just hard. I mean, you could show up for some game day, but if you didn't go to practices, you're not going to know what it is we're doing. The same is true in our Christian life. Get in the word, hide God's word within your heart Say, Lord, in your providential care, accomplish your purposes according to your powerful word. Let me trust your way. Help me. Number four is this. Refocus on God's work. You could also extend it and say, rather than your way. Refocus on God's work rather than your own way. Too often, we can become distracted by God's calling and God's kingdom work because we get consumed with our own work. It's easy on Sunday to say, I'm committed to walk for you and to live for you, and then like Monday through Friday happens, right? And we just get pulled and distracted in so many different ways, or things didn't go according to our plan, and you're like, I'm committed to walking to God as long as it goes this way, but when it goes sideways, are we still committed? We get distracted. We get a little detour- and what we need to do is just refocus on God's work and say, Lord, I want to I follow your purpose and your plan for my life. Not my plans, but yours. It may be that there's an indicator that maybe we're too focused on our plans and not focused enough on God's kingdom plans. And so God may bring some fearful storms and struggles in our life, but here's what we need to understand. He brings those things as a means to build and strengthen our faith. Jesus didn't lead them into a storm and allow them to have this storm because he just wanted to mess with them. I just want to scare these disciples. I just want to make them really fearful. What what did he want to do? He loved them. He said, you know what? I want to bring them through this, but as a result of bringing them through this, I want to build their faith. Because I'm going to pass from this scene in a few short years, and I want these men And women, of the disciples in this boat and the other boats. I want them to live confidently, following me by faith, not consumed by fear. Come what may, we're just going to plow straight ahead. That's what God wants. He wants that of you, He wants that of me. Easier said than done, but God in His goodness and grace can accomplish His work. Number five is this We should rejoice in Christ's rescue. You see, the gospel of Christ brings deliverance. It brings salvation. It brings what we don't deserve but so desperately need. There's lots of things that can rob us of our reasons of rejoicing. But if you know Christ, if you're a genuine follower of Christ, if you've truly been born again, that's one thing that this world can't rob you of. You're secure in Christ, and you ought to be able to come what may—good times, bad times, happy or sad. Say, you know what? I can still rejoice in Christ, because this short-term life, this short-term affliction, all the things that are hurting me right now, in light of eternity, something much bigger, something much greater. And I want to rejoice in my Jesus. I want to rejoice in the goodness of the gospel. Harder to rejoice in that if you don't have that. So, come receive Christ today, acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior, seek to follow him. And here's the the final thing, rest in Christ's care. Knowing who Christ is allows us to know his care. If there's nothing else, they woke up, Jesus, don't you care for us? They had to walk away saying, oh, Jesus greatly cares. He's not sleeping, he's not slumbering, he's just resting, but he cares for us. Hopefully they saw that that day. So at the beginning, I gave that story right. My coach, the commander-in-chief of the day, uh, one of my younger brothers was in that boat, and then some of um, my wrestling buddies. The boat gets tipped up, they're upside down, who knows where they're at, if they'll They'll pop out of the eddy or not and live or die. Or There's nothing that he could do, nothing I could do. They're helpless. They did get shot out of the water, and they all swam to the shore, and, and they survived. That's a good thing. Think about this, though. There were no guarantees on that day. They could have easily died. God spared their life. That's a good, good, good thing. Praise the Lord for that. And yet tragedies can happen any day. God has given us this day. There's no guarantees about the next day. So I don't know about you and your life. I don't know uh, about your spiritual walk with the Lord or lack thereof. God, in this story today, spared them physically. And they rejoiced in that. I'm like, I'm sure they, once they reach dry land, oh, so good to be on dry land. And yet through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he longs to deliver, he longs to save us, spiritually and eternally. Through the gift of the gospel, man can have eternal life. Apart from the gospel, apart from truly being born again, apart from being a genuine follower where your life has genuinely changed and transformed. Because if your life isn't changed and transformed, you are not a believer. Jesus just, just talked about that. But he says, come one, come all. Be changed, be transformed, be delivered. That's what the gospel invites us to. And so my friends, you might be saying, you know what, I lack purpose in life. Turn to Christ, allow him to give you greater purpose. The big idea was this, being a disciple of Christ isn't about getting through the storms of life. Rather, it is a matter of trusting God's purpose through the struggles, through the struggles of life. That should be life-giving. Let's remember that as we head out of here today.